I want to talk about some troubles that Paul encounters in Thessalonica, but that's okay because the gospel stirs up trouble, but it also results in a lot of triumphs. We're going to see both of a contrast here. Look at these first 15 verses. Acts chapter 17, just to start the verse 1, we'll start off with there. And I uh, start down there, 17.1 now. When they had passed through Amphipolis, I'm sorry, Amphipolis and uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, in just that one verse, uh, they're heading on now to Thessalonica. They're going um, from, from, they're leaving Philippi, and they're moving into a, a big city called Thessalonica. And they were constantly facing a lot of different things. It was one thing to be over in the Middle East, and things were kind of common and Run of the mill, it was standard, town after town, things were kind of the same. Now as he's going through, Paul and Silas and, and Timothy and Luke are going through this area, there's constantly new languages, new cultures. Even though it was a Greek and a Roman culture, there was a mishmash of, of different things everywhere, different customs. And um, uh, just by way, if you notice, Philippi is up at the top. They moved from Philippi over to Thessalonica, and that's they've moved. Uh, about a um, um, hundred kilometers, which by foot is a lot when you think about it. And they end up in there. And the truth of this is that all people, no matter how different we are, we only have one need. Okay. And that one need is for people to know God through Jesus Christ. Everybody knows about God. Uh, I'm just finishing a book called Eternity in Their Hearts. And all, na all nations, all cultures have not been evolving. They've been devolving. In times you find somebody that's a that's four foot eight aborigine and they're a, what they call a primitive man, a primitive hunter. You go back in the history and you find out the history that used to be a great nation. That person who may have a bone through their nose and no clothes on, maybe a headhunter, just three thousand, just one thousand, two thousand years ago, they had massive empires. And what happened was they chose sex. They chose the flesh. They chose to, to turn away from, from God and turn to the worship of themselves. And they, they turned to war and it destroyed their culture to where now all they do is they headhunt each other. You're not looking at primitive cultures. You're looking at the end of cultures. So all nations have always known about God. What's happening is people just turn their back on him constantly. And we look and we see the results of it. You're not going to know God through idolatry or philosophy or religious ceremonies. You're going to have to understand and believe the glorious gospel of who Jesus was and what he did to bring you to God. So Paul follows a pattern everywhere he goes. Look in verse 2. And Paul, as his manner was, just stop there for a moment here. Paul had a pattern that he followed everywhere he went in the gospel work. And you know life is a whole lot easier when you have a routine. The time to get up, time to go to bed, time when you eat. I mean, I hate, you know, you, you, it's, it's 7 o'clock at night and you got to fix dinner. It's like, man, I was starving at 5, you know. And your body needs that routine. You need so many hours of sleep. You need, you know, your boss wants you to work a routine. They want you to start and stop at the right times. Well, Paul had a routine that he went through. And what he did was look at verse 2. And as his manner was, he went unto them in the synagogue of the Jews and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead 
and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ, is Messiah. So the pattern that he followed was he always went to the Jew first. Now, that's the greatest privilege you'll ever have is being able to give the gospel to somebody who's a Jewish person. You know, uh, I, I, I love giving to anybody, and I'll give the gospel to anybody. But Paul went to the Jews first, and he would tell them the Messiah has come, and he would open the scriptures. He didn't turn on his phone and go to Wikipedia. He went to the scriptures, and he attempted to open people's minds with reasoning, as we shall see. And then you can't tell where people are going to make a decision or not. You just leave it to God. You see where it ends up. And sometimes it's not favorable. Sometimes people get upset at you when you tell them they're lost and they need a savior. But then there are times where people do believe. And then Paul is showing us here, no matter where he goes, he just keeps the same pattern and just do what we're supposed to do. And the Lord leave to him all the results. So let's look back there in verse two. And let me start with this great thought here, because this is the point of chapter 17, which is he reasons from the scriptures. Look there in verse two again. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. It wasn't just a brief encounter. He came and spent several hours on one Sabbath day. The men were already gathered. They already wanted to, to hear somebody teach the Bible. And as he taught, he says, come back next week. Now, all these guys had to work. They had fields, they had cattle, they had families. But on Saturday, it was the Lord's day for them. And as the Jews, they would gather it again. And Paul then would pick up where he left off and go for several hours more. Three Sabbath days, maybe as many as 15 hours he spent there speaking and talking to them. Look at how he talked to them. Verse, uh, uh, he, he reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging. Now, Probably most of you don't know what all that refers to, but I'm sure that Gavin has heard those phrases. Um, uh, opening and legend, they're legal terms that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. This Paul, now I like the, when I find images of drawings of what Paul, what people thought Paul was, I always find them thinking he had a book in his hand, had scriptures in his hand. And that's true. He didn't go around just pontificating. He constantly said, thus saith the Lord. He constantly referred back to scripture. He was a man of the book. He just loved teaching the scriptures. He reasoned with them, just like God does. How many remember Isaiah 118? Come now, let us, God says, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God says, I'd like to reason with you. God's the one that encourages us to be scientific in our mind, to be rational, to be reasonable, not mystical. And, and we, just, we just go with the smoke and the mirrors. Paul made opening arguments. That's what it means, opening and alleging. He made opening arguments and counter arguments. He would say this, the scripture says this, and then he'd allow, what do you think? And then somebody would say, oh, well, what about this? And they were going back and forth like in a courtroom. And to allege, that's a, that's a legal term. It means to declare, to affirm, to assert, to pronounce with assurance. We'd say it this way, to state a fact. He caused people to think, to reason, to analyze. This is where modern science comes from. As a matter of fact, most of modern science has its roots 
in the Bible in the way that people would not allow religious hustlers to come along, snake oil salesmen, we call them, and people who would just say anything and we would ask for proof, we would ask for evidence, we would ask for a cross-reference. That's biblical. A Christian, one of the things that I want more than anything is to encourage you, don't turn off your brain anywhere, especially when you're watching a YouTube or especially when you're in church. You've got to go, you know what? There are some well-crafted shenanigans that people can pull and make you think, oh, wow, that looks so real. Oh, that look, that must be right. Do you know what? I have, this, I, have, I have very little respect for our modern idea of what is true and what's not true. I know one thing. I found out that the truth is, is perfectly in this book and everything else I have to test. I have to check. Now, the reason why I believe the Bible is true is because I put it to the test. My dad and I, I grew up in a home that was atheist. We never talked about God. And everything we talked about, he would say, are you sure? Have you checked that out? And we had no internet. We had to go to the library. We had to find a book and had to find a page and had to find a paragraph. And so coming out of that thing, sitting in a church and, and the pastor preaching, and I go, wait a minute. And I wanted to check out everything. What, how do I know the Bible is the word of God? How do I know you are right? All of those questions I had to answer, and they're good to answer. They're important to answer. Reasoning from the scriptures. Paul reasoned. He got people to think. And he spoke like people's lives were at stake, and they are. He was, it's like in a courtroom. If you're a defense attorney and, you're, and your uh, client here is, is getting ready to go for life in prison, but the evidence is not clear, and, and you, would, you would fight for the right of that person to not be wrongly accused and wrongly judged because you know that life is at stake. And that is how Paul is preaching. And that's how I preach on a Sunday because I know you're in here and this may be the only time I've got to open up your mind to what God says because men's lives and souls are in the balance today. You have spent the last 50 hours this week being influenced by friends and by videos and Netflix and Hulus and I don't know what all. And I've got less than an hour. And so if I plead a little bit passionately, you must understand it's because your soul's at stake. This isn't just your comfort or your feelings. Yes, I'll upset feelings, but it's because I care about you. So Paul spoke like people's lives were at stake. And he set out to prove four facts. If you remember what it says here, the first thing was he set out to prove that the Messiah had to suffer. That was unusual to them. A Jew didn't believe that the Messiah, the, the mighty conquering Messiah would suffer. I mean, how can he who is in command of all the armies of heaven, how could he suffer? So I want you to take your Bible, go to Psalm 22, and I'll show you where Paul, a few of the places that Paul would have taken them to because they're just as plain as day. Psalm 22 and verse 1. Psalm 22 and verse 1, my God, my God. Now, if you notice up there, just above that verse, it says a psalm of who? Okay, so David's writing this. But watch what he says. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, why can't you hear me? Now, David's writing this, but he'll say in chapter 37, he says, the Lord's never forsaken me. 
So there are some times when he's writing that he's not writing about himself. Jump down to verse six. But I'm a worm and no man. I'm a reproach of men. I'm despised of the people. Really? David was despised by Saul, but he was loved by the people. Verse seven. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip as if to say they accuse me constantly. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord, on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. Down to verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. He's describing a feeling that many of you probably have felt when you've been at the bottom, when everything has gone wrong. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, like an empty pot that's broken. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the, unto the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They, what? Pierced my hands and my feet. That's never, ever been happened. That never happened until the Greeks invented and then the Romans perfected crucifixion. David writing, pierced my hands and my feet. David's hands never were pierced. David's feet were never pierced. He sees and feels what somebody else is going through and he writes it down. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. And look at verse 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Where did that happen? At the cross. David's writing not about how he was feeling, but how Jesus felt when he was suffering on the cross. That must have been, must have been eye-opening as, as, as Paul opened the scriptures, made a point. Oh, they brought the counterparts. Oh, he's the Messiah. He can't suffer. And then he runs to this scripture. Go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2. Again, this is prophesying about, what the, about the Messiah's life and his death. Isaiah 53 and verse 2. For he, I wonder who the he is. He shall grow up before him, before the Lord, as a tender plant. And as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, when we Jews shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So if you looked at this person that Isaiah is referring to, he says he's just a run-of-the-mill Joe Soap. Nobody think he's handsome. All right? So you always look at these pictures of Jesus, you know, and they're like, mm -hmm, they make him a little bit too handsome. It's <laughs> a long go of flowing blonde hair and blue eyes. But there's no beauty that we should stay there. That is not supposed to be here. Anyway. There's no beauty that we should desire in verse three. He instead is despised and rejected of men. Now we're getting somewhere. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. Didn't want to look. He was despised and we esteemed him. We valued him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We saw that God was afflicting him, verse 5. But he was wounded not for his transgression, but for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. In the Old Testament, if you took sin and, and you just sort of ignored it, it built up and built up and it condemned you. So how did you get rid of sin? An innocent lamb had to die in your place and you had to place your iniquity on the innocent. And here is Isaiah saying, there's coming a man and all our iniquity would be on him and he would die. This was revelation to those Jews as they sat there and, and was, was, was spoken to by Paul. It was a revelation to them. He secondly, as we read there, it says that he would rise from the dead. Psalm 1611 says this, thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one, your Messiah, to see corruption. Speaking of, yes, he's going to die, but he ain't going to stay dead. And that's good news. You see, if we only are following a Jesus who died and couldn't get up again, man, you're wasting your time. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die too. There, is, there has to be something more powerful than death, and that's Jesus. And Paul is preaching the gospel to those people there. He said, thirdly, that Jesus met all the requirements of being the Messiah. Jesus had proved he had lived perfectly righteous, according to the law, had fulfilled all the prophecies that pointed to him. And once he was able to point out and prove who Jesus was, just like the days I went to church back there 42 years ago, bit by bit, answering my questions, not only the pastor preaching, but hearing me come to him with Bible questions and about this Jesus guy, and the, 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 um, uh, the Old Testament questions. I had a lot of questions about the Old Testament. And it was all for one point so that I, so that I could hear my pastor say, and ultimately a friend of mine say, Jesus can save you. Jesus proved who he was, and he took your place, Ledbetter, and he wants to save you now. And that was Paul's whole pattern. Everywhere he went, he reasoned from the scriptures with one goal, to win the soul. You know, we, we seek to win arguments. Change it. Start winning souls. Be compassionate. Listen to the other person. Maybe they've got a bit of a different background on their understanding, but your goal is to get them in the scriptures, not into your head. You and I, we don't have much to show. We don't have much to explain. But when we come to the Bible, let the word of God humble and change the audience. That was Paul's thing because he did it all only from scripture. It was brilliant. He used Old Testament scriptures, by the way. He used the Old Testament prophecies because the New Testament was only just being written. We're reading the book of Acts, which is Luke writing part of the New Testament. It wasn't finished yet. So he used plain talk. I like how Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, I came, to you not, uh, I came unto you with great plainness of speech. <laughs> didn't use religious mumbo jumbo. And by the way, he didn't sugarcoat it either. Modern preachers are sugarcoating everything. They won't mention hell. They won't deal with LGBTQ. They won't deal with um, uh, fornication and, and uh, uh, covetousness. They will only speak as if they're just counseling everybody through, through trials and stuff. They Listen, if you want to be where, where you're helped and where God is able to break and change your heart, be somewhere where somebody doesn't sugarcoat the truth. How many people, if you got cancer, you don't want the doctor to say, hmm, hmm, hmm. We need to run another test. 
Yeah, you've done 15 already, Doc. What's the prognosis? Well, I kind of don't want to upset you. I don't want to hear that. Bring it out. If you've, got, if you've got something to say, tell me. If I've got cancer, let me deal with it. And if there's sin in me, and if I'm headed to hell, please, God, give us preachers who will tell us and say, this is how you get saved. Amen? Because the scripture's clear. We don't need to change the scripture. We need to preach it. And the results, look back there in Acts chapter 17. We'll get to verse 4 now. Acts 17 and verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. There's a lot. Um, uh, I have to... I'll come back. So um, the results of Bible preaching was that some believed and some didn't. Look in verse 5. But the Jews which believed not, and then it goes on, moved, were motivated with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar. Just stop there for a second and look at the results of preaching the Bible. Number one, uh, people had to choose the side. People have to choose. Bible, Bible preaching is never passive. Where people are supposed to just sit there and take it in and, and, and there's no effect. Anytime I preach, it's with a goal for you to make a decision. Matter of fact, the Bible demands a decision. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Go hold your place here and go back to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, 35. Matthew chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus speaking, saying, well, look in verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now, this is the words of Jesus. For I am come to set a man at variance in opposition against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And you're going to have to make a choice because it says, verse 37, he that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Why, why even follow me if you're not willing to make a choice if, if it comes down to it? And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. That's pretty strong words, wouldn't you agree? Jesus said, I didn't come so everybody just gets along one another and send peace on earth and make everybody happy. No, there's coming a day like that, but not now. Right now, you got to make a decision, and it may cost you sometimes your job. Maybe it costs you your friends. Sometimes it costs you. Listen, if you were a Jew and you're an orthodox, uh, uh, hyper, uh, devout Jew, and you decided to become a Christian, you were disowned, you were kicked out of the house, you were fired because you were usually working for somebody else who was a Jew. It cost you everything. Why do we think we can get away with less? You know what it was like when you got saved and your parents went ballistic. When you, when you hear the words of God preached, just realize, mm -mm, the war has begun. <laughs> you know why people end up stopping coming to church? Because they stop making decisions. 
They don't want to choose against the world and against their own wants. And I've seen it. I've seen it where people, they're comfortable in church and the challenge is put out and they just say, I put it off. I put it off. I put it off. And it's like putting off, uh, unplugging the toilet. If you don't act, it's going to overflow. It's going to affect the whole house. And your innocent decision is affecting your home and your and your relationship with God. And people ultimately just say, boy, it stinks in here. I'm leaving. It's because they haven't made a decision to get close to God and get right with God and repent and humble themselves again. The people had to choose a side. Um, second thing that happened, the church of the Thessalonians was born. Look there in, in um, chapter 17 again. It says, verse 4, it says, some of them believed, consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, which were the Gentiles, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. What are they going to do now? You got all these believers, Jews and Gentiles, what are they going to do? Go to 1 Thessalonians. Go to the right. 1 Thessalonians, almost to Hebrews. You'll find a couple of books, First and Second Thessalonians, First Second Timothy, Titus, First Thessalonians, chapter one. This is the result of Paul preaching the Bible. First Thessalonians, chapter one, verse one. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. Now, Silvanus was Silas. That's just his Gentile name. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the. Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go down to verse 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols. They weren't already religious. Well, they were religious, but they were idolatrous. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he hath raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The Bible, folks, the, the, the Bible, the purpose of a Bible is to preach, to start to get people saved, to get them together in churches, and then to keep preaching and starting more churches. That's how the world is one. And... Uh, it wasn't because Paul was a great preacher. I need you to go to 1 Corinthians. I want to show you a really informative scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. All the Bible needs. The Bible does not need personalities. The Bible needs preachers. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1. Paul is writing to the Corinthian Christians, and he said, I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I just want to tell you what God thinks. Verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I wanted us to know and to understand. Verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear. And in much trembling, do you, you know why these podiums have this big piece of wood up here in the front, don't you? It's to hide my knees. For I, uh, Nita's seen me from the start uh, of the ministry and stuff, and I'm comfortable preaching now. But this is not my life. 
All right. I'd much rather be fishing. <laughs> I'd much rather have a telescope looking at the stars at 3 a.m. in the morning. I don't mind being alone, but God called me to be with people. And God called me to get behind this pulpit. And there have been, and there have been times where I've been asked to preach and I'm just sweating bullets. And my knees are knocking. And that was Paul. Paul didn't come up to us, oh, this is easy. No, he didn't. Keep going there. In verse 3, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing political motivating words of man's wisdom, but on the demonstration of the spirit and of the power and of power, so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but only in the power of God. So here's Paul, and he's just he's just preaching as best he can. And I think probably Paul. He's probably about five foot two. That's what they say. And he was hunched over. And if you saw him, he had scars on his face because he always got in trouble everywhere he went. And he'd been stoned, uh, probably balding. They kind of, they just see this guy who's not, not somebody you'd put on prime time. And yet that's who he was. And it didn't matter to him. He wasn't there to present a personality, a persona. He was there to preach the gospel. He was there to preach. And it started church after church after church after church. The church of Thessalonians was born. And then a community was divided. Look there again. We'll read there in verse 5. But the Jews which believed not, oh, they were moved with envy. They took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. That means really the bottom of the barrel. And they gathered a company and set all the city in an uproar. Started a riot. And they assaulted the house of Jason. The house of Jason was where Paul was staying at the time. And sought to bring Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy out to the people. Now that's very, that's very aggressive. This, this community, Thessalonians, as soon as Paul comes in and preaches, people get saved. And then war is declared. Some of the Jews believed, some didn't. I like this word. I want you to go back and see verse 4. I want to show you something. You ought to circle this word. And some of them which believed, some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. That word consort is a wonderful, all of your Bible words are there for a reason. It, it means that they clung to, they, they just loved to be with. They consorted with, and that's what you'll be accused of. We're going to talk about accusations in a moment. If you ever are hanging around criminals, they'll say, we saw them consorting with so-and-so. You ever heard that phrase? Yeah, because they usually use it in a bad way. But Luke is using it saying, and these new believers, these Greeks and these re rebellious um, Jews who'd gotten saved are consorting. They couldn't get enough of Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy. They loved learning about the Messiah they had missed. And, but Thessalonica became a war zone. There were now two cultures in there, and they were different. Christianity is different than the world, isn't it? Folks, we're different than politics. We're different than, than all the other social programs. I get surveys in the post and says, uh, what do you do for the poor? You know, uh, How do you help uh, homeless, so on and so forth and stuff? We're a little different than that. I don't mind helping and I want to help. But let me tell you, our purpose is not really primarily to feed the poor, shelter the homeless, all that stuff. Our purpose is to preach the gospel and turn this world upside down. That's our purpose. Because by getting people saved, you get people out of homelessness. By people getting saved, they stop being alcoholics and drunkards and, and gamblers. 
You see, we deal with the root problems, not just the surface like the politicians do. There's a war zone. Christians don't create havoc. Normal Christians don't. Bible even, we, uh, it was the angry religionists. I just want to get, I want to get along with everybody, but I don't want to be like everybody. Does that make sense? We are different. So verse 5 now, let's look at the accusations they were faced with. Acts 17, 5 says, But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, they took of it unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, gathered a company, set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, so they were looking for Paul and Silas, they instead drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down have come thither also. Um, verse 7, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security, a bribe, of Jason and of the, of the other, they let them go. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but there were some great things that they were accused of and that every Christian ought to be guilty of. Number one, they were accused of believing the scriptures. If anybody ought to look at your life, they ought to see that you actually believe the book you hold in your hand. It ought to be evidence against you that you're a Bible believer. All right? I used to be a Carl Sagan believer. Uh, I, anytime Carl Sagan came on, now he's a evolutionist, a cos, cosmological evolutionist back in the 1970s. He's a very intellectual man, but whatever he said was gold-plated to me. I believed everything he said. Right. Uh, people believe Richard Dawkins and, and Stephen Hawkins and stuff. And they, they just they, they believe everything they say. Neil deGrasse, Neil deGrasse. They just love the sound of their voice. Well, I believe the scriptures now. I've come to find out that uh, Carl Sagan was wrong on a lot of things. So so is Richard Dawkins and um, uh, the whole host of people who claim to know science. I believe the scriptures. Acts 24, go to Acts chapter 24, verse 14. Paul was known for and well accused of believing the scriptures. Acts 24, verse 14. Acts 24, 14. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, well, they call me a heretic, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing some of the things which are written in the law. Is that what he said? Believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. You know, if you don't believe this, these words, you're missing all the prophecies that are coming together for the end times right now, folks. You have no, if you just believe this book, you're 500 years ahead of science. The, the Bible already said the earth is hanging upon nothing out in space, spinning like a ball. The Bible already says that um, uh, this universe has an innumerable number of stars. Any, any ancient caveman would look up and might count they estimated about six thousand stars you know if i were one of those guys and i tried to write out some holy book i would write what i see not what i think and the bible in jeremiah 33 says the stars are without number and every scientist throws up their hands and says that's right they'll never find out the length and the breadth and the height of this universe i just believe the bible Second thing that they were accused of, and this is true, is they believe that Jesus Christ is the only Messiah and the only Savior of mankind. They didn't come along and just bring another God. They said he's the only one. John 14, 6, 
14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We made no excuses for this. See, there's no Allah. There's no saving power in Buddha or in Krishna. It's only Jesus. Third thing that they were accused of, and that was of consorting together. You know, I, I'm glad you're here. But your neighbors ought to be able to accuse our neighbors. They, they, they consort with other believers. Hallelujah. It's called church. <laughs> it's called loving the brethren. It's assembling together. I find too few actually consorting anymore. You know, a drunkard, you know what a drunkard does? A drunkard's nature is go to the pub, amen? Go to the off license. I give you one guess what a Christian's nature ought to be. You go to be with God's people. That ought to be our nature now. Fourth thing that they were guilty of was upsetting the status quo. I like how he says there in Acts 17, 6, it says, these that have turned the world upside down. Now, we don't riot, although we, we, we get upset. <laughs> we get enough to want to riot. After all the perversion that the government pushes, after all the things that, that are just on television, that are on, on phones, that are everywhere, it just makes us upset. We're not passive, folks. But we don't riot. But when we preach and when we debate and when we reason with people, it upsets things. We vote differently than RTE tells us to. Think of Lisbon. We speak differently than everyone else around us. I'm, I'm glad when I'm around you, I don't have to hear all the filthy words that I hear just down getting petrol. <laughs> I mean, I'm just getting petrol and all the person is doing is effing and blinding. It's like, get your diesel and go, will you? It's nice to be where, where people talk different. We call out sin and the abuses of power in people. We speak up when men and women make themselves God and use power wrongly, and they twist society into a cesspool of perversion for their own pleasure. That's what Hollywood has always been about. Don't you tell me that it's the Me Too movement. It's a sin movement. The whole thing needs to be thrown away. You can't clean up a silage pit. Not unless you empty it out and replace it with flowers, amen? We expose religious hustlers and liars. We've been doing this long before all of the internet started bringing out all the stuff and the imbalances out there. And it has to happen, folks. It has to happen where people get upset at, at the Bible being preached. Now, I don't want people upset, but I know it happens. I was upset. I came up to the pastor. Listen, he's in heaven now. And he forgives me now. But I would go up and it says, yeah, but you said, I was, listen, you think you're tormenting me? No, I'm just getting back what I did to my pastor. Because I'd say, you said this, and that doesn't go with this, and that makes the, that, that, that contradicts this. And he'd have to put up with all that stuff. Because he was upsetting me. He was upsetting me. Folks, we cannot, light does not let darkness stay in power. Cultures don't stay the same after the gospel is preached. I was reading this book called Eternity in Their Hearts and about people who are cannibals. You know when the gospel comes into a, a, a community <laughs> like in Papua New Guinea where people eat each other <laughs> for lunch and dinner and breakfast? You know what the gospel does? They no longer are cannibals. Amen? Now that's kind of an extreme illustration. Headhunters, they don't stay headhunters. And addicts don't stay addicts. Drunkards don't stay drunkards. Husbands go home. Wives stay in, in, in relationships that were hard, but now are changed because of the grace of God.
cultures don't stay the same. The world is supposed to be turned upside down. There was one other thing, two couple other things they were accused of changing people. I'm not interested in changing genders, changing careers, or changing where you shop for your groceries, man. <laughs> we seek people to change from sinner to saint, from vice to virtue, from serving idols to serving the living and true God, from drunkards to godly husbands and wives, from rebels to servants, from a wasted life addicted to welfare and government programs to a life lived for others and for God. I'm interested in change. And that upsets the politicians. That upsets the religions. That upsets everybody. But it sure makes a good community. It makes a good society. And one last thing. One thing there in Acts 17. Look there in verse uh, 9. Just one. Uh, no, sorry. Um, verse 7. Whom Jason hath received, and these do all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Yeah, yeah, we, we don't say what everybody else is saying. We teach things that are contrary to the laws of the land that are against God. I don't care whether it's legal to abort a child. It's wrong. I don't care whether it's legal for same sex to get married. It's wrong. And we will preach against the laws of Caesar. Amen. Amen. See, we used to, just a few years ago, we used to sit in our comfort going, well, there, abortion will never get into Ireland. Remember saying that? Remember thinking that? And so we didn't really come out against all the people who were saying that it was a viable option. It was for the protection of the life of, of the, the mother and all this stuff. And so there were a few that really stood against it. But Christians were really motivated. Folks, we preach against the laws and the decrees of Caesar. Because in China, for years, they enforced it. It wasn't just an option. They enforced it, a one-child policy. If you got pregnant, you were marched down to the abortion clinic all over China to get rid of every other child. Don't tell me that you can just stay silent and that we'll all be fine. We teach things that are contrary. Anything that the government says that goes against this Bible, we say, wait a minute. I hope to vote you out. <laughs> Amen. I hope you're guilty of every one of those things. Amen. You say, and that's what I hear. Christians say, yeah, but it's the law of the land. I don't care whether it's the law of the land. It was the law of the land in, in, in Germany to do some horrible things. Are you going to sit there and go, I guess all those Germans should have just stayed quiet and shouldn't have said anything? Accusation. We need to wonder, like, does anybody have any evidence against me for being a Christian? <laughs> These noble Bereans, verse 10. And the, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, because their life's in danger, who coming in thither went unto, here he goes again, where does he go? He follows his pattern back into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. These noble Bereans were reasonable. That's the meaning of the word noble. It means open-minded. If somebody says, you know, um, uh, you know, so-and-so is open-minded, the old word for that is they were reasonable. They were noble. They weren't uh, tyrannical. They weren't a dictator. They were willing to listen. 
They were much more noble than all the, the Jews back there in, um, in Thessalonica. They were receptive to the scriptures. They didn't care Paul was an apostle. They didn't care Paul was from Israel. They didn't care Paul was trained by Gamaliel. You know what they wanted to know? What the scriptures say. They, were, they wanted to hear what saith the scripture. And they, they were with a ready mind, which means they were curious. They were interested. They were hungry for truth, not for feelings. If, you, if you're looking for a church where you're always pumped up and made to feel better, you're in the wrong church. I think you'll get a blessing when you come to church. Sometimes you're not, but you'll always get the word of God. Amen. Hopefully you'll get a scone and a cup of tea. But you might not always get the hug and might always not get the best feeling when you come to church. Get over it. And be, have a, a readiness in mind saying, teach me, help me. I want to go out of here a better man, a better woman. I want to go out of here more like Christ. I want to go out of here stronger because last week was rotten. And I gave in and I crumbled and I did wrong and I don't want to keep doing it. Noble Bereans, their readiness of mind. And they were searching the scriptures daily. I put an R in there. They were researching. <laughs> R, 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 I got it. All right, anyway. They were checking and verifying everything Paul said. Remember, these are lost men and women. I found out um, my pastor, when I got saved, his name was Jack Humbert. When he was growing up, he grew up in a place called Ohio, which is up in the middle of the United States, uh, up towards Illinois and Chicago. But anyway, far enough away. And when he was a kid, it was expected in school, the kids were required to say that they read a chapter in the Bible in the public school. They were supposed to read a chapter in the Bible every day. And his dad was not a believer, but his dad said, have you read your Bible chapter today? And he had to come and say, yeah, and it, it was chapter this in the book of Jonah or whatever, da, da, and say something. And he was required, and he, by the time he was a grown-up man and got one to Christ at 46 years old, I think he was saved at 40-some-odd years old, he had read through the Bible through three times. He had never been saved. He didn't believe a word of it. He just kept reading it because he was told to, and his dad made him. <laughs> so when he got witnessed to on the job, he was working for the Chicago Railroad at the time, and a man sat down next to him. He worked up in a telegraph office. They put him up in a box on a pole, and he would get a telegram, and because the wires weren't able to carry the signals 100 miles or whatever, he would get in a, a, a message, and then he would have to send it on down the, the, uh, uh, the railway signal line. And he was up there, and a guy climbed up there and says, I need to talk to you. And it was quiet, no message was coming through, and gave him the gospel. And that man got saved, later got called to preach, became the pastor of the church that I got saved in, called to preach in, and you're the product of a guy who grew up with a parent who made him read your Bible. One chapter a day. So that when somebody comes along and says, the Bible says you can check them out. And he checked it out, and he says, I never saw Jesus. I only saw words and I saw things, but I never knew Jesus did all that for me. And he got saved up in a, in a box on a pole, 20 feet off the ground, wires coming in and going out of it. Hallelujah. Amen. These, listen, you know why it's so hard for me to win a soul? Because people are ignorant. They don't even know. Catholics don't know their Bible. They don't even know Jesus said you must be born again. Jews don't know Isaiah 53. Never read it. Every Jew I ever met, I said, Isaiah 53 says, da -da -da -da. I said, I've never read that. 
Psalm 22 says, I've never read that. People are ignorant. The Bereans were more noble. Then on to Athens. Finish up here. Acts chapter 17. Pick it up in verse 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica, that city back behind them, had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul in Berea, uh, they came thither also and stirred up the people there, starting another riot, verse 14. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to see, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and received a commandment unto, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed and went back to Berea. Here's something that happened. All right, so they're up here in Philippi, first there last week. Then they're in Thessalonica in the middle top, and then they moved to Berea, and now they've, they've, they've uh, gone down to Athens. What's going on? Persecution, trouble drives the gospel forward. You know, you may give the gospel to somebody, and then they shut you down and, you know, get you in trouble with a boss or get with the school or whatever, and then it just pushes you into another direction. Listen, persecution doesn't stop the gospel. It just drives us forward. They just kept going. They end up on in the big city of Athens. I don't think Paul knew where to go, but this is where he is now. And he goes right into the heart of Greek empire, which we're going to see next week. Persecution is not all that bad. It's never pleasant, but it's not all that bad. So here they go. He headed into the belly of the beast. And then the thing that's interesting is Paul needs his team. Last thought. He's down in Athens. He starts, as we're going to see next week, all the idols and everything. He's going to say, I need, I need Timothy here. I need Silas here. I'm overwhelmed. I need some people with me. And haven't you ever felt that? Haven't you gone through Thursday, Friday, and you start saying, boy, I wish I had a Christian to talk to. I wish, I wish there was something going on tonight. I wish we could get together tonight. And you start needing to be around the brethren. That was Paul. And you know, in the ministry, I need you. Everything we do is for others, but sometimes it's so few of us who are doing. It's nice to have more, amen. Paul needed. He sent those men back. He says, go tell Paul and go tell Silas and Timothy to come because we're, we're in the belly of the beast here. We're in a big city now. Here's the conclusion. What have we learned? Well, Paul's teaching us by his life example that we should just keep doing what we're supposed to do and trust God with the results. Speaking gospel truth, handing out gospel tracts, inviting people to church to hear the gospel. Always reason from the scriptures. If you're having to go to Wikipedia all the time, if you're having to go to the internet and to some YouTube and stuff like this in order to prove your point, it won't work. You may win the argument, but you won't win the soul. It's the scripture. It's what Jesus said. It's what he did. And you don't have to know a lot. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. A gospel track. First people I ever witnessed to, I just read the gospel track to them. Just be honest. Reason for it. Just show them what the scripture says. You know, there are wonderful results. Churches grow. Status quo gets upset. Amen. The culture of the day changes. I'm sick and tired of our culture changing in the wrong direction. It would be nice if it changed and got flipped over, turned upside down. Amen. Oh, all the progressives say, oh, you're wanting people to go backward. No, I want people to go upward. Think about that for a minute, amen? I want to see, you know, with this book preached and with people believing it, lives are changed.
saved and sanctified, not perfect. You come in here looking for perfect people, you're in the wrong place. But a striving to be, and you'll find a different culture being established, a different culture, a Christian culture, not a religious culture, but Christ-like. My goal is to get people to be like Bereans. I'd like you to read your Bible. You say, oh, I don't understand it. I know, I know. But the more you read it, the more it'll make sense, and the more the Holy Spirit will be able to deal with you. And when you come in church on Sunday and I preach, you go, I read that last night. I see what he's saying. Ah, I get it. <laughs> That's how it's supposed to work, folks. Let's be like the Bereans. I'm going to ask you this. What about you? Are you even saved? Be ashamed to come to church every week and just go out of here the same. Be ashamed to say, oh, I, I, I believe in God, but you don't trust Jesus. Jesus is not your Savior. He's sort of the Savior. You've been to church so long, you've looked at him on the wall, you've just kept him on the wall, on the cross. He doesn't, he's not supposed to be on our church, by the way, on the cross. By the way, our cross is empty for a reason. Because he didn't belong there anymore, does he? He died once, never to die again. He rose from the dead. He went to heaven, but he wants to live in you. But you don't, you don't realize he knocks, you got to answer. You don't, you don't just march up to heaven and says, okay, I deserve to go in. Nobody deserves in. He says, I want you. And if you open your heart and you cry out to him as a sinner and realize, I need you. Would you save a wretch like me? You're in. Would you stand with me and bow your heads in prayer? Father, we thank you for, as we watch Paul and Silas and Timothy, you used these examples for a very special purpose. That was for us 2,000 years later to look and see that's our pattern. That's what we should be doing. We should be just like them. And there's a lot going on here. Yeah, sometimes there's persecution. Things just don't go our way. But the gospel kept going and going all the way into the heart of the deepest, darkest parts of, of a culture and of a nation. And all the while, it was turning things upside down, which is a good thing. Lord, I pray that the gospel is changing and upsetting some people in this room. When they come to church, it's not always fun. It's not always easy and comfortable. It's very convicting. And when things are mentioned, it upsets us because we've believed what RTE has said. We believe what our friends have said. We've, we've worried about people's emotions so much we forgot about their souls. And so here we are, Lord. The Bereans were lost, and they were so noble. We should be a lot, lot more like the Bereans. And we should be a lot more like these first century Christians, caring about people all over the world, but especially right here. The people we interact with them all the time, please make us compassionate, soul winners, people who have a voice that needs to be used for the gospel. So, Lord, we dedicate, Lord, just this message to your people today, and I pray people would make a decision. First, to be saved if they're not born again. And secondly, to live differently, to step out of the, the, the rat race that's going on, Stay, step out of the, just the, the mob of, of people moving one direction, help us to go another direction, a different direction, the direction of the will of God for souls. 
I'm kind of sad. I'm sad about watching Christians backslide all the time. I'd like to see us front slide. I'd like to see us go forward in such a way that would just turn this world upside down. So I pray, God, you would please meet with us and, and, and work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab your hymnal.